This is To Catch a Con Man, Season 2, in the victim's voices. I will take you on another fascinating journey, but this time you will hear from other men and women that, like me, have fallen prey to the various cons, scams, and deceits by one of the most prolific and successful con artists to live and operate in the Midwest. You know him as Ricky Dugo. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. In this first episode of To Catch a Con Man, Season 2, in the victim's voices, you will hear one of my favorite interviews that I have conducted thus far. A former girlfriend from the 1999 time frame meets Ricky Dugo and tells her tale of a whirlwind relationship and how she fell for Rick and subsequently was swindled by him. In this tell-all interview, you will gain access to how Ricky was able to capture her attention as he tries to change her and control her. Let's meet Anna Marie. Um, tell me about uh, where you were in the in the late nineties. <laughs> well, it was nineteen ninety nine, and. It was Labor Day weekend in Las Vegas. I was there with a group of friends, and we went yearly. And we had rules. You know, you couldn't leave with a a man that you met. And I don't know. We just all had these safety precautions that we like to follow. And I broke all of them when I met Rick Dugo, as you call him. I met him as Rick Schulte. Right. So, and we met him at the pool. I mean, I didn't even know he was from Chicago. Where were you staying? Oh, and I think we were staying at the Venetian, I believe. I honestly don't remember that. Okay. But he was with a friend, and he was funny, not my type, this big man that, you know, obviously worked out, and you called him a meathead back then. And, uh, but he was funny and to have that physique and be funny was, I think the extraordinary part of him. Cause it wasn't like he was this tough guy, you know, he was goofy more or less. So, and he had, we had fun, but I think, um, what was also something that brought us to him as a whole is he was Mr. Wine and Dine, you know, he paid for everything and we were young, we were 24 years old. And uh, we had fun. And it literally turned into 
a crazy nightmare after that trip. And if I just didn't call him back, I didn't know he was from Chicago, obviously getting to know him, uh, I found out that's where he was from. I had a boyfriend, I was dating someone, and uh, yeah, I got home from Vegas and I called him. And we met, and it went from there. Okay. So he gave you his number, obviously, who was interested in you. He kind of courted you out on this trip. Yep. Um, you had a boyfriend. Um, so you get back to Chicago, what happens? We meet. He's still fun. He shows up in this Corvette. Again, I'm young. I work. I never had anyone that seemed to have money. So it seemed, uh, you know, he was new and shiny and we went out you know went out to dinner and it was like a big dating thing i never really went to the city he was from the city supposedly mm -hmm. so that was it it was fast everything was fast okay so how old were you 24 24 it's 1999 yes um you're back in chicago and at the time you're living at home? I lived with my parents, yes. And my mom is very strong, young mom who saw right through it in the very beginning. But I think when you're young and you think you know more, you're defiant. So I was like, no, this is real. And she was like, no, it's not. And uh, it just kept, I kept, I ended up lying a lot, I think, to myself and to the people close around me. And as time went on, and like I said, this went fast, he was um, isolating me from everyone because their influence would then get me to see the light, and he made sure that that wasn't going to happen. So how long were you dating him before things started to get serious? So... I feel like things got serious the first month because in that month I did things that I still can't believe I did. Money. Like I traded in my vehicle and got a Corvette, um, got a Rolex watch, took out a loan for $25,000, went on a trip to Florida. I was doing things that just you don't do, but I don't... I think back and I don't understand why, because if this man portrayed to have all of this money, why am I getting money and giving it to him? Why am I getting these things if he's capable of getting them for himself? So how did that come up? Like, how does it come up? I mean, does he just pitch you one day, hey, honey, let's go down to CD Peacock and buy you a Rolex? Yep. Basically. Yeah. Like, it's fun. And he was good for it. Because he always had this wad of cash on him. He owned a car wash. That was his business to me. Um, I saw it. Um, so he took you by the car wash? Mm-hmm. It was in the city. I don't know where. Yeah. Just some seedy part of the city. And... and did he take you out back, like, where he walks you in and... I mean, he was, like, the boss. It made... It was clear to me that everyone worked for him. So... I mean, it just seemed legit at the time. And again, my friends and family, my family didn't know so much about me with the money thing, but my friends are like, what are you doing? And why would you do that? But I was like, because we're in love or, you know, he's good for it. 
And did you have a career at the time? I did. So I worked for household finance. I was an underwriter for 15 years. I mean, I, I had a great job. Okay. So he comes and he's, he's showing you all of these things, you know, the, the car wash that he says that he owns, mm -hmm. which is, um, which is all a facade. Uh, he never owned that car wash. Um, that was always his, um, one of his big plays. Okay. Uh, he would drive people to, um, he would drive victims to a car wash where he may have paid people to act like he was the big boss or maybe he shook them a $20 bill to, <laughs> to pretend like he, he was the one, he was the dude, he was the man. Um, but he used that same, that same, um, that same scam numerous times where he would just drive up somebody that he was pitching a car wash to and he'd get out of the car and everybody would be high-fiving him and thinking that he was the big boss man just to give off and to sell it. Um, and it worked, I mean, time after time after time. So, um, so he, he, he shows you all these things and you're feeling pretty good, right? I am. I mean, he had this cigarette boat that was like a, a big deal and he brings it to my parents house i mean this thing is enormous it's in their driveway and out of nowhere he pitches to my family for them to put it in their name and i i don't recall because again i'm having like a suppressed memory but my mom was like are you nuts like we don't even know you why the hell would we put anything in our name for you? So I think that's that was a huge red flag, and my parents started digging. Mm -hmm. And that boat was in someone else's name. It was a girl. I cannot remember her name. I know she tried calling me numerous times. Um, I never picked up. I never allowed her to talk to me because he would just tell me he had all these you know crazy ex-girlfriends and... I don't even remember how I got sucked into that, but that was the red flag, was this boat. And we would go on it and I met friends, but they weren't really friends. I feel like maybe they were people like me. It's like we all kind of had this unsaid thing where something wasn't right, but no one, like I couldn't really talk to them because he didn't allow it. And I was never a girl that was like I was I was never someone that was under someone's thumb and now I am so that was strange that I was following that as this insecure girl so there's a control aspect. it was a control aspect for that's sure come up, that's come up numerous times with um, a lot of his past girlfriends or ex-wives they've all said that um, he would um, make sure that he was controlling every aspect. As soon as he started dating you, did you move in with him? No, so I never moved out of my parents' home and his controlling was what you're wearing. And I, I literally, I'm having such a hard time remembering this and believing that I did this, but I was a huge gym rat and all of a sudden he was like, you know, you shouldn't be wearing those clothes, they're too tight, it's gym wear. Um, wear something around your waist, you know, are people looking at your butt? So I complied with those things, but he took me to his house in the city where he lived with his mom and his sister. Mm -hmm. 
So I meet them briefly and they're weird. So again, I had, I had so many flags that I was ignoring and he just shows me um, his room. It was nice and tidy. Everything was nice and tidy. And that was the last time it was nice and tidy. So any other time I had gone there, it was a disaster. There was women's clothing. I would see, he would say it was his sister's. His sister was a big woman. These clothes weren't big. Um, there's lots of things that I ignored. But um, he would leave me there and say that he was an alderman for the city. And at 24, I didn't even know what an alderman was. I had to look it up. So I was like, okay, so he works for the city and he would get all done up, you know, and go out and say he had to this job. And now looking back, he was just, I'm sure dating someone else and doing the same thing. And I'm stuck in the city because he would take my car and park it somewhere because it's the city and you can't find parking supposedly. So now I'm stuck there in a house, in a bedroom with people I don't know and can't get out. I yeah, mean, this it was is way before uh, iPhones and iPads and right. We didn't like something to do. Exactly, you so didn't have you any doing of that. You're at his house. I mean, you're just sitting in this. So I started snooping at one point. I remember because I, you know, my mom always told me to follow my gut, and my gut was screaming at me like something is wrong. And I found a phone bill because we did have cell phones. We had flip phones. And it was like $4,000, this phone bill. And there were uh, reoccurring phone numbers, but they were also the numbers that would call me. So I thought that was odd. Um, but when I would question it, he always had an answer. You know, whether they were crazy or... I don't, I don't really remember his answers, but he had an answer for yeah, everything. For and there was a time that we were going on a trip to Florida. I don't remember why. I really don't. Um, and I had packed my bags. I paid for the trip. Something with his credit, he had said. I had to buy the tickets. It was always like some weird reason, but he had a good reason. And it's the night before and he leaves me again at his house and something clicks and I'm like, something's wrong. So I leave and I take my suitcase and I walk past his mom and sister. They're like sitting in this family room with 10 dogs. It's a crazy house. And I'm running down like an alley of the city, freaking out, scared. I don't even have my phone and I don't know why. I can't remember why I don't have my phone. So I go to a gas station and I ask to use the phone and I'm stretching the cord into the bathroom of this gas station to call my girlfriend and I do. And I'm telling her I'm in a gas station, come get me. And she's like, where? I don't know where I'm at. And you're right, we don't have iPhones. I have no location. I have no idea where I'm at, but I'm wanting help so bad and I can't get it because I don't know where I'm at. And he comes there to the gas station. He, he finds me. And then what happens? Um, I'm upset. I'm freaked out. And he talks his, again, I don't remember. He talks his way out of it. We get on an airplane the next day. We're on some boat with some weird rich people. So I think. And it's wined and dined. And I have no idea what's going on. And I'm literally just there. And we get in a big fight. And he threatens to leave me in Florida. And it's like becomes this whole emotional, probably abuse at that time. Cause now it's like, you feel the need to keep someone like that. Cause now you're scared. So you want to leave, but you can't because you don't know what to do. 
And now you're already getting in deep. So like money's already been exchanged. I'm starting to feel that nervousness of, well, I need to stay in it so that I can recoup my losses, which I don't know how that was going to happen. So as time went on, I started to get more and more scared. Um, But then as he started to realize that I was scared, he would start to say things like, I never held a gun to your head. You did this all free will. And then he would scare me more with saying his dad was in the mob and he had no control over what he would do to my family. So then again, you're just, you're in it for the wrong reasons. I wasn't in love. I wasn't. In lust or or whatever you want to call it in the beginning, maybe. But I think for the duration, I was in it because I didn't know how to get out of it. Mm. It's kind of like an abusive I guess that's how you would explain an abusive relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of intimidation. That's a, one of like uh, the con man ways is he exerts control by intimidating you um, to make it seem like you can't get out, even though he didn't put a gun to your head. I'm sure he coerced you right. into making some of these decisions that you probably would have never made on your own, right? Right. Um, you know, let's talk about what, Let's talk about what he took you for, and then we'll come back to your, you know, this part of the story. So at what point, you know, do you put this car into your name? So I believe everything was done within the first month. And I found out later, because my parents hired a lot of uh, help, that he was doing that because my credit wouldn't show it in the first month. So if I'm running my credit over and over again to buy or get a loan, they're not seeing my debt to income at that time, right? right? So I took out a $25,000 personal loan, and I do remember literally handing him the envelope in the bank. Like, it didn't even leave the bank. And I don't know why I did that. Um, The car, I had a white Eclipse, and I traded it in for a Corvette which he already had a Corvette. So now we were going to have matching Corvettes, which was really strange. And Strange, but you liked it, right? Strange, but I liked it, for sure. It was fun. It was exciting. Um, I never put the boat in my name. And the Rolex, I don't remember if I got one, but he did. And then there was an exchange of a ring, but it wasn't like an engagement ring. It was just a like a diamond band. But at one time we were at the gym and he said, I'll hold it for you. And then he said he lost it. And I remember at that time wondering if he just said that because it was going to go on to someone else. Because I was on to that. I was starting to put that together and feeling like something's not right. This guy's, this could be happening. Especially because I was getting phone calls from other women. Let's talk about some of that too. So, so I mean... It sounds like you knew that he was up to some shenanigans. I did. Um, I definitely did. And did you just turn a blind eye? Did I it did. bother you? Did it bothered it, me, but I turned a blind eye. No, it didn't make me jealous. No? Well, I just, I don't think I knew what to be jealous of because I never saw anyone. Um, and I never gave anyone the time to talk to me. So I really didn't know. I just knew something was wrong. And the part where you said control... He was there every day at my job, 
no matter what, he would show up for lunch, something. So it was like, he made you feel like, where else would he be? Right. You know? I mean, until I'm stuck at his home alone, then I'm like, what are you doing? <clears throat> but... It's crazy. Um, so back to your question of how much. At the end, my parents ended up getting my car back. They took that Corvette and they traded it back in because this is happening in a month's time. So they took that car, they traded it in. There was like a $5,500 difference that my parents ended up paying to get me out of that. I got my car back. Um, Jewelry, nothing. You never saw any of that again. I was out the 25 grand, period. But then later, I don't know how this happened, but I think my parents scared him. I really do, because they called the FBI, so they say. I don't know. And there was a private investigator telling me all the time and would then recite back to me where I was, what I did. So they did do that. They did find out where I was. So did you know that your parents had hired a private So I, I did, and then I told him. Oh, yeah, and all shit breaks loose. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they sent a private investigator to that car wash to then get the job done, pay with a check to try and see where he was funneling that money. Was that his place of business? But because I told him he ripped the check up and he didn't, you know, he didn't cash it. So you felt the need to give him a head start. So I was sabotaging it. So there was something was still there. Something was wrong with me at that time still that I felt the need to tell him. But at some point that broke, um, my parents were like threatening him hard and something worked because it ended, but he would meet me once a month, probably around March or April of 2000. So literally in a six month span, and he would pay me $1,500 cash as like a payment to pay, to repay me back. And that went on just for a few months. And then I never saw him again. But he did do it. So I don't know what, I honestly don't know what triggered that. Uh, Probably fear that he was going to be arrested. Uh, You were probably one of the first that actually fought back, or maybe your parents fought back. Uh, Many, many victims didn't. Um, In my uh, research and the people that I've talked to, uh, less than 5% actually contacted the authorities, whether it was the FBI or went to the police. Um, there are very few people. That well, it's hard to do when you've done it to yourself. For sure. So you're thinking. Yeah. You know, you're you not looking. Right. You're right. You should have yeah. known better. Yeah. And so it's embarrassing. You're not going to go to the police and go, yeah, I gave him $25,000. And uh, so help me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it just sounds silly. But yeah. yes, my parents were very threatening and. I mean, at at the same time, though, trying to make me hit rock bottom. I mean, they kicked me out of the house. They changed the locks on the doors. I mean, they were like, we're done. You're, something's wrong. You're brainwashed. And I moved in with a girlfriend. And he proceeded to come there every day. And my girlfriend was like, I'm scared of this man. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to come in the house and everything's going to be gone. Because they saw something I didn't. So I think it took a lot of tough love too from my family to go wake up you know 
something's not right. This isn't right. You have no friends now. No one wants to hang out with you. He doesn't want you to have any friends, only his friends. But his friends only talk to you so much because they can't talk to you either. So it ended with he moved to a home on Nagel. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he buys this house. And I'm already on the outs. So I'm just kind of in and out. And I go there. And I'm cleaning a bathroom. I'm decorating. It's kind of strange. So I'm in and out. And then one day, I'm going to go and sleep there. I'm going to go spend the night. And I'm pulling up. And I see a girl coming out the front. And I'm going through the back. So he's real. You could tell he's flustered. And I'm like, who is that? I don't know. Comes up with something. That night, that girl is banging on the windows and screaming, like, get out of there. This is a scam. He's scamming you. And I just remember sitting there like, what is going on? And he just, you know, talked his way out of it. But I was already on my way out. So I think it was just like, okay, this is... Something's wrong. But he's literally juggling women right there. Right there. Oh, yeah. With I no, mean, no shame in his game. No, and... one at one door and one at the other. I mean, yeah. He was, I mean, I don't know how he did that. It's got to be exhausting. <laughs> or, or he's, Lord, you know, the guy gets high off of this, you yeah, know? It's got to be. It's something. exciting, yeah. <laughs> apparently. It must be. Um, it's uh, pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, back to the money thing. Um, I worked for a long time and unfortunately I you know I got myself out of debt. I took money out of my out of my uh, my stock that I had with that company to pay myself back, to pay the loan back, and I did that. And I never saw him again ever. I never heard of him again. I never saw of him again until you contacted me. I don't even I'm trying to figure out how how that happened. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I do know. I think it was one of my friends saw something online and said, oh, my God, it's Rick. One of the girls that met him in Vegas with me. And I commented because there was comments it. and it was you on there saying, who else has this happened to or this happened to you or something. And I went out on a limb and I was like, me too. This is your B two moment, and that was it. Yep, and I was, and then, and then I think you comment, you contacted me after that. So never, you never saw him, you never heard from him. Never. Again, I think my parents were like, I remember my mom threatening like something like, "You're gonna go where Jimmy Hoffa is" or something. Yeah. Like, she was just like, "This is, this is it." Like I am an only child. Like my mom was like, "Do not fuck with us." Yeah. Like who the hell do you think you are? And maybe that's why he kind of just, okay. Oh, I wasn't worth it. Yeah, I mean, you know, mama bear mentality definitely uh, kicks in. Um, and it's amazing because most most victims that got themselves into similar situations were pulled out by their parents. Um, well, and I would think that he would be, a if you're going to be a con man for young girls, I would think you would do better homework on maybe someone that, it's a little bit more broken. You know, they usually kind of, I would feel like you could target someone that maybe doesn't have a support system, 
but maybe that was the challenge for him. Or maybe it didn't matter to him. I think he thinks he's that good that he could literally, again, he did it to men. It wasn't just crimes of passion. It was, he could literally convince anyone to do these things. And he did. Yeah. How many victims do you think are out there? I have no idea. Yes, I mean, just like if you had to throw like a dart in the dark, a hundred. I guess I don't even know how old he is. He's fifty-six, so that's another thing. He usually lies, yeah, especially to the women. He would lie about how old he was. So, this is going back twenty-three years ago, twenty-four years ago. He probably told you he was. Well, let's see. He would have been. Well, if I was 24, I feel like he said he was like 30-something, <coughs> young 30s, which is probably right. Yeah, it's possible. Because, but he dyed his hair and he dyed his eyebrows like I could tell. Yeah. He did steroids. Like, there was things that I was noticing along the way that I was like, hmm, you're not what you seem to be. So what did you like about him? He was funny. His humor. His humor. His humor and his wit. I like wit. I like someone that can think on their feet, that's fast. Um, I don't like someone that comes off super charming and um, knows it all. Arrogance. And I don't feel like he had that, at least not in the beginning. He was goofy, like he danced. I mean, to see this big guy act like that, dance around, to me, I was like, oh, okay. like. You're cool. He's got a tattoo on, like, you have a tramp stamp. You're this big, huge guy, and you have the cigarette boat tramp stamp on your back. Like, I just thought that was goofy. I mean, I have a tramp stamp. <laughs> like, it's just, like, it's just funny to me. So I thought in those ways, like, he was funny and um, witty. He was definitely witty, but you have to be, right? I mean, if you're juggling all these lies... I mean, you better have your shit together. You gotta have. You gotta be smart in some way. Yeah, he's he's a lot more intelligent than people give him credit. To oh yeah, and I I can see that, and I like I like that. Yeah. I like intelligence. Yeah. But um, looking back now, I mean, I'm so much older. Like you're living at home with your mom and your sister. Yeah, I mean, this dad that was in the mob. I never met that person. So just yeah, too many weird weird things that you think his mom and his sister were keeping tabs on you oh 100 percent. they, they were, called him they when called i left yeah. when i walked out that door they yeah for sure i don't know how he found me i mean i guess i couldn't go far i mean i was on foot with a suitcase <laughs> so <laughs> but crazy how technology has changed since then right well i think that that's what did him in is that, for sure you know 100 percent right you know, as times changed, uh, especially with the advent, I talk about this in the podcast, the advent of iPhones and um, the metadata that's included in all of that, you know, it, it, it tracks your location, it tracks uh, all that, you know, everything is stored. So, I mean, that's that. a lot of work that he would have to, to do with technology. He did um, get me a beeper now that you're making me remember yeah. so that he could call me, right? So he can get in hold of me at any moment in time. So yeah, that, uh, hmm, that's funny. But yeah, we um, have so many ways now of controlling people or finding people. Well, yeah, and I think the technology did them in, in that 
you know, um, how he scams and cons today or how he was these last few years. Um, most of them started over the phone or on text and that's how he kept people engaged, you know, from, a, from afar. He didn't have to be right next to you to tell yeah. you. Yeah, he could just, he could sit, just there like, and... sit there. And, but he could do this on a, on a much larger scale. Like, so while he's conning me, he's conning 10 other people at right. the same time. Well, I wonder if he got in on the Venmo thing. That would have been an easy cash flow. <laughs> uh, he got caught. Well, so one of the cases that uh, he, well, the case that he pled, pled guilty to, um, there was uh, some Venmo stuff that had happened, huh. but that's, you know, that's all, that's all real. That's like a wire transfer. That's fraud, you know. So it's was, traceable, whereas yeah. I'm more like cash. Yeah. So his cash was preferred, um, but he, he definitely, um, especially for folks out of state, like in Missouri, they sent wire transfers to his best friend um, on behalf of him. And then his best friend would cash him out. I guess just what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, um, technology today definitely, definitely did him in. Um, so were you surprised to see that how far he had gotten that his name were, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I called everyone I knew. I called my mom. I called uh, my friends. I was like, I told my husband cause he was, I mean, my husband was with me when I would meet him for my $1,500 payment. And I mean, it's just, we were like, what? Like, and that was kind of nice actually, because then all of the people that probably in my life at the time were like, what the hell are you thinking? It, it let, let them know, like, this is real. It wasn't me just being some dumb girl that was taken by a guy. Like this guy's the real deal. Like, look at him. It wasn't just me. He did this to a lot of people. So I kind of liked that. I was like, see, this is real. Like this guy's legit. He's a legit con man. He's legit con man. So that's what made I liked knowing that that happened. Yeah, I was you some positive, you had some affirmation. It was affirmation. Yeah, and I think that that's what brings a lot of us together is is that there's no support group when you think you're alone, right? I mean, right. The of only course. person that deals with it is you and how you internalize it. Um, well, and I just you know put it out of my head, and my life went really well after that. So I think that obviously I had a great transition and a great family and a great support system. So I didn't feel, you know, it was just easy to move on. It was easy to forget. And I didn't ever think about it again until it came up. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this. This is crazy. But um, what was I going to say? I don't even know. Oh, I was, I, I wonder like the, those girls that were trying to contact me, I wonder if they're going to surface and I wish I had names, but I don't. Um, so there's a bunch of names that I have. Yeah. Um, around this time frame. Um, well, the girl that had her name or her family's name in the cigarette boat, that would be a good one. Cause that was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of them. Uh, got taken for uh, 400 and something thousand dollars. Oh. Yeah, he had multiple. There's about four of them out there that uh, got taken for that amount. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's terrible. So, I mean, and that's that's part of what I was going to say next is, believe it or not, you actually got off really easy. Hmm. Um, because most of the women that he met were taken for hundreds of thousands of dollars and then ended up having to file bankruptcy uh, he wrecked most of their parents as well. Friends were taken in on, you know, um, went in on deals. Um, 
he left everybody pretty much financially decimated. And you he know, has no remorse. Uh, zero. Um, it's a he, sickness. Uh, it's it's sociopathic. It is it's, sociopathic. So he's like the definition of what um, a sociopath is. He lacks empathy. There's no sympathy. He's uh, narcissistic. Um, it's it, it's really uh, a weird thing because I think most people like you and I are probably the opposite. You know, we feel something. If something bad happens to somebody, we want to help them, you know, but that's not how he, he operates. He doesn't have that, not even like a moral fiber in his being. Do you know about his family? Are they there? Are they real? <laughs> so, um, so I know his mom passed away a few years ago. Um, his sister Renee bailed him out of jail. She accepted um, a Venmo back in 2021 and some checks that she cashed on behalf of another victim for Rick. She was not present in the courtroom when his trial was going. Nobody was present in the courtroom um, for him. So that kind of speaks the volume of who he really is. And his wife wasn't there. His sister wasn't there. He had no friends. He had zero support because he's burned everybody along the way. No uh, father? No, his father died a long time ago. And from what I've heard uh, from a woman right after you that he ended up marrying is that most of what he is today is all because he learned it from his father, Ulrich. Um, I've reached out to his family. I've reached out to his wife. I've reached out to his sister to see if they had anything to lend if they wanted mm -hmm. to add any color or background, um, but they haven't uh, responded. And I don't think that they will. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, I would like an opportunity to sit down with Rick face to face and ask him some, these, some of these questions. Like what makes you do this? What makes you so bad? What makes you not feel? Is it? He's not gonna be able to answer those questions. Well, I, 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 think, I think the game is over. It has to be over. And that's what this has the ability to do with with, a, with an article that's about youth that's going out to 70 million people and, and to have a podcast and, you know, potentially whatever happens after this is he has to accept what he is. You know, he has to admit. Admit maybe, but rehabilitate. I, I don't think rehabilitate, but at least at least do some soul searching. And, I don't and, know if he has a soul. No, he does not have a soul, but, um, in his mind, I don't think he thinks he's hurting anyone. And that's the irony is that cause if he thinks it's money, you know, you can file bankruptcy, but there's 20 to 50 victims who ended up in divorce, such financial ruin that they lost their families. They have their kids taken away. So there's like this path of destruction that's happened. Um, it's not just about the money. It's actually the, the money piece of it is, is, is not even so severe, you know, like it, you can lose $25,000 and recover, but what if you lost $400,000, you lost your house, you lost like where you're, we're raising your kids. What if you, if your parents went in on it and then they don't talk to you and all of a sudden now 
you don't have parents that, you know, like that are in your life because they've disowned you. I mean, there's, these are real. I know if I'm feeling bad about myself and how, how could you like let that be pulled over on you? I couldn't imagine a man and his wife saying, how could you lose everything for us? You know, like that has to be just horrifying and just, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. So, um, your estimation about a hundred victims, um, I appreciate the guess. Um, I anticipate it to be in the 400 to 1,000 range. I guess if he's been doing it his whole life. Yeah. Has he ever had a job? Um, so I say that he hasn't had a real job. He owned a real car wash for a split second in Mundelein, and it was a front. It was this tiny little, uh, you drove your car in and, and, and a couple guys would come out and hand wash your car. Um, he didn't pay the landlord for the lease. Uh, he didn't pay the wages. He actually uh, didn't pay his employees. It was a front so that he could bring by bigger fish that wanted to invest in car wash ideas. And then he took a guy for $700,000. And that was the car wash in the Trump Towers. That would have been. So his idea was the Trump. Yeah, that was his colossal that. idea. But that's that. how he that's how he propagated that. That's he had. He had a, a, a real car wash for uh, a, about a year, six months to a year. And then he eventually got evicted from it because he didn't pay the rent. See, where I think that's dumb. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah. You know? You know, he would have been a great salesperson. You know, if he just would have... 100%. If he just would have put his mind and his efforts into something constructive. I agree. Yeah. He would have probably been very successful. One of the most successful ever, right? 100%. He's so. definitely an intelligent person. And if he would have put that into something good, I think it would have turned out really well. It's yeah. just too bad he didn't know how to do that, I guess. Do you have any anything like final? I mean, is there any, you know, this has been really captivating, um, super <laughs> interesting. Um, is there any last thoughts that you have? Um... Does it make you feel good that he's in jail? Oh yeah. Like I said, it made me feel good the second I saw on, what was it? It must've been on Facebook or something. And it was him with a woman. And I don't know if this is his wife. Um, she's a brunette, she's in shorts and a tank top. And she's on top of a boat. And it says, this guy's, it says, this guy's a POS. This guy's a piece of shit. It like, and I was like, what? So that was the dirty. So and that, that was, was the, the dirty. The yes, that's what dirty. it was tied. And yeah. then I was like, no way. So I think that was the moment that I was like, yes, this guy is not only real, like a real con man. It's not just me. I mean, I knew there are other people, but you just don't know. Right. But now I really know it's real and it's coming out. And I think that was probably the best moment. And then after that, I was like, I don't know. Like, you were giving me insight on the trial and um, I was kind of gung-ho about going and then my family was like, you know, you're like, they don't know. Do you really want him to see you? What if he gets out of jail? What if this guy comes and contacts you because you tried to support him going to jail? What if he, you just don't know what someone like that is capable of. And I think a lot of victims of anything just want to move past it and they don't want to be a part of it because they're afraid. It's a great point because um... I always thought that there would be at least a hundred people in the courtroom with me when, um, when at least when he was sentenced, and it was just my wife and I. 
Nobody else. I think because we're scared, you know, we don't want to. I mean, I could face him. That's not the problem. Um, it's just I, I want it to be over and you just don't want this guy to come out and try to make your life miserable again. Like, what is he capable of? Right. And you, it just made you nervous. And I at the time, I didn't think like that. I was like, I'm going. You know, I was 100 percent. You're like 9 a.m. Waukegan, whatever you told me. And I was like, I'm there. And then my husband was like, no, you're not. You're a mom and a wife and you don't know what this guy's capable of. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So, of course, I as I thought about that, I started to get nervous, too. And even coming here, I mean, I'm like, you know, I don't know you are, you know, you start to wonder, like, are you part of the scam? Is this still happening? And it's just like, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. So, but at the same time, that other part of you pulls and says, this is a good thing. Like, I want to be a part of something that tells people. Yeah, I mean, because what it does is it validates how it can happen to anyone, you know, like, the, <clears throat> excuse me, it can happen to anyone. Um, if it can happen to you, it can happen to any woman. Um, the women, at least in my opinion, uh, it was, it was a real mind fuck. I mean, he, he got you for, he pulled you in with lust. Maybe it wasn't love, you know, and then he, he, he proceeds to con you. I can't imagine what that feels like. I mean, again, as a, as a, as a man, I mean, I'm just a gym dude, you know, I'm just, you know, we're, we're, we're fist bumping at the gym, you know? Yeah. It's not, you're not intimate. I'm not intimate. Um, I think I'm more mad too about, he made me like get rid of everything in my life at that time. And it's so sad because my daughter's 19 and there's things, I mean, I kept, you know, ex-boyfriends photos and things that we did. And my husband did too. You have past, everybody has a past, right? You want to show your prom pictures or whatever. And I had pictures and I had a life right before him. And I don't know how, but he like had me throw all that out. And I'm so mad that I did that. It's interesting. Um, And the poor guy that I was with um, at that time. You know, that was just really sad that I that I did that to him. And um, after I got married, I think my own closure was I met with him. I met with that guy I had been dating and I apologized because it was a couple people that I went to and apologized to. It was almost like this like AA thing I like created for myself. And I went back and I was like, I'm so sorry that this guy pulled the wool over my eyes and I hurt you in the process of that. And I had no remorse for doing it at the time because I just wanted what I wanted or I wanted what he wanted. And I know I hurt people along the way too, but through him. And that's just so, it's just crazy how someone can have that much control over you. What was their response? Were they they welcoming? um, One was not. Yeah, one was not. Um, but in the and the guy that I was dating, he was. I mean, it was heartbreaking, you know. Yeah. I mean, he actually bought a ring. I mean, the guy was like planning on proposing, so it was really sad. And looking back, I think everything happens for a reason. 
I mean, good. Maybe I, it was. Maybe I wasn't meant to be with that person because yeah. I'm with the person I am now, and I'm very happy. So maybe that's why it happened. I have to like try and find a silver lining. Was it a good thing that Rick came into my life because I would have married this other guy and it wouldn't have worked out? Like you try to play those mind games with yourself. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you always, I, I've said this a couple of times, you have to go through Rick to get where you are today. Yeah, like maybe I thought, you know, having money and nice cars was something and that I wanted. And you know what? It means shit. And I don't care about those things. I mean, yeah, they're nice, but they're not everything. Right. So I think you just, yeah, did we learn something? I'd like to think that we all learned something from encountering this piece of shit. Um, I mean, I think I did. I was young. But I also have a daughter and I think, you know, anyone can be influenced no matter. I was raised a very strong family and again, I wasn't a weak person. So it just goes to show you anyone can be influenced in the wrong direction. Have you told your daughter this story? I did. Um, she's 19 now. So it was not, I told her recently because this came out. Okay. I didn't even think about it before. And then when it came out, I told her, and even she has the same response that anyone would. Like, why would you do that? How could you do that? That's so dumb. But yeah. she's 19, and she hasn't even had love or any of that yet. So I think, I hope that that story resonates. And, you know, if she ever encounters something, again, you know, go with your gut. And there's flags, and there's things that people do that aren't normal or right. Yeah. Especially in the beginning of a relationship. They don't ask you to pay for things. That's not normal. You know, you don't take out loans and get cars and jewelry when you just met someone. You just don't. So, lesson be learned, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, it happened and I guess I'm glad it happened. I'm glad I, I had the support system that I had and that I wasn't in it very long. You know, maybe I could have been one of those people that moved in with him. Yes, he talked about marriage. He was, he did think of all those things like, oh, we're gonna have this big future together. Um, but I, I, again, I had family and friends that were like, no, it's not gonna happen. So it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Right. It definitely could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. So I'm sorry that that happened to you as well. I mean, I'm sure. You have your own doubts of yourself or you went through them and but you had a relationship with this man for 10 years i mean i had a relationship with him for 10 minutes so i can't even yeah. understand we were, having that trust yeah it's a little bit different we were gym buddies you know gym buddies are i mean I'll, i had lots of gym buddies i mean i have lots of gym buddies i have hundreds of i gym met buddies. my husband in the gym i've met I, my wife in the gym okay. so like it's the same sort of thing but you know Gym buddies, like some of them you go out with, but others, you know, you give the head nod to, right. you say what's up. You know, it's part of your daily routine. Yeah. And I didn't subscribe to the normal Rick Dugo, Dugo wannabe crew. He had a crew of people that would surround him, that wanted to be in his, in his aura, in his life. That wasn't me. I was a lone wolf. I was the guy that was working out by myself. That's how I like to operate. Um, but... I think we were a good challenge though, because I was a lone wolf. I had someone. I was one that you don't just meet strangers on these trips. Yeah. You know, we have things in place to be safe for a reason. And, you know, he picked me. 
He could pick any any of those girlfriends of mine were way more gullible, single, ready. He has a type. And that I don't know. He does. I mean, yeah. He so he definitely, and, and I, in in looking at you, you definitely fit his type. Um, Great. From, yeah. So, <laughs> did a. I'm going to ask you some names. Um, did you ever hear of a name of uh, David Andrew? No. Uh, then you wouldn't have heard of him. Um, Lana? His, no. Um, because you're 2012, right? Yeah, but these are people from like 2002, 2003, 2004, and 5. Um, I know one man on the boat, his name was <coughs> I think his name was Frank. Frank. And he was the one. I loved him because I could sense he was just a nice guy. And he wasn't threatening. He wasn't hitting on me. But Rick made me feel like he would or he did. So, like, I couldn't talk to him. But I remember at one point, like, looking at Frank and being like, don't you think this is weird? And he wouldn't answer me. Do you know his so, last name? Nope. Hmm. Yeah, there's a couple that I, I don't know. I feel like he might have been gay. Okay. Which is why I was like, really? Mm. I can't talk to him? <laughs> but I don't know. It was weird. And then there was a young, young, young guy on the boat. But I don't know his name. Young people liked him. Yeah. Because, it's, right? I mean, he had this. So from the guy standpoint, the ones right after you in like 2002 to 2006 and seven, he found these guys, these young kids that didn't have father figures, they didn't have brothers in their lives, they were looking for a male mentor. Oh, he's perfect. And he 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 found that, he, he fit the role, um, he gave them that part of life that they wanted. Oh, yeah. And then they gave them... They gave him anything he needed anything or wanted, he right? Anything wanted because they looked at him as like, this was going to be the guy that was going to show me how to be a man and make yep. money in the world. And, yep. Become that's successful. really sad. Yeah. That's because that they put all their trust into him. Yeah. And I'm sure they, you know, and, and feelings. I'm sure some of those kids like loved him. Like, you know, you're the best thing that's happened to me. Yeah, they did. One of them, uh, he introduced him to 22 people that got taken. Um, the other guy, him and his mom lost almost a million dollars. So, um, yeah, it could have been worse. So, um, so can I ask what what did you give him? Cash? Oh, yeah. Um, so my scam or his scam that he got me was an electronic scam. Um, he's been pulling the scam off since um, probably early two thousand. Yeah, when I saw that in the in the I don't know if that was the Facebook or whatever it was, I was surprised because I didn't know any. Again, I didn't have that. It was just car wash with me. That's it. Just car wash, but the Rolex. So like, so the whole reason that you bought a Rolex for him, yeah. what did he do with the Rolex? Yeah, it was gone. I don't know. Okay, he pawned it. He took it down to a jeweler's row in the city to a guy named Howard Fromm. He did this rinse and repeat scam forever. He would have you take out a line of credit at CD Peacock for <sighs> an $8,000 watch. Right. He would take it, you know, take the watch. He'd wear it once or twice. He'd hightail it to the city and he would pawn it for four or five grand. So um, everything, all of the things that he was doing, 
um, was to eventually get cash. So whether it was a Rolex or, I mean, his $25,000, you know, with the loan that you gave him mm -hmm. money for, I mean, that's just cash. I mean, he just cashed that out. And then he started to live his lifestyle to other people. He started showing. Right. Use those use, money, that money to make it look like to you that he's got it together. So that's what he was doing. So he was constantly recycling the scams, the cons. So your, your Rolex scam is one of the earliest. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he was doing that in 2002, 2004, 2006, all the way up to like 2014, 2015. He's still getting people to go in on the car wash idea, but then he has to pay the alderman off in order for him to get the aldermans to sign off on the so property. So he's actually zoning. got these high officials? No. He's just saying that. He's got to pay the alderman, these, these fictitious aldermen off. In order mm. to do that, mm -hmm. he needs you to go out and buy four or five Rolexes. So you go out and buy four or five Rolexes, you give Rick the Rolexes, Rick takes the Rolexes, never gives them to anybody because it's all bullshit. Takes him to his buddy in the city, pawns him off for cash. You never see your Rolexes again. You know, now you're on the hook for paying off all that, you know, all those loans. And he's got 20, 30,000 in cash that helps him to recycle keep going. and keep on going. It's exhausting. Yeah, for him, it has to be exhausting. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how do you sleep at night? And how do you get it all in line? How, how do you it? keep it all straight? Like, who you got to call? What do you, who are you going to meet? I wonder why didn't anybody kill him? Because like that's what I, my parents said. Yeah, that's what everybody says. How They're is like, this guy, how is this guy still alive? Somebody has to be hurt so bad and lose so much that they lose themselves and just knock this guy off. Yeah. Well, he. I was waiting for that. I thought maybe that'll happen. Someone he'll piss off the wrong person and they'll just kill him. So it's. Uh, it, but that didn't happen. It's been tried. Um, mm. He's been shot at. Um, but he starts. Once he's burned every bridge in a certain area, like when he was doing this to you, it was the city. Then from there, he moved to Yeah, I was to surprised Addison. to see that. He, he started to go to the Addison area. Um, and then from Addison, he came up to the suburbs and he started like finding his old buddies from way back in the day. Well, when I saw that he was in, I think you said Vernon Hills, yeah. I was like, shit, that's close. That's close. <laughs> I started to get nervous. Yeah. But that's, you know, eventually he, he, he screws over so many people that he has to go somewhere else. So when he does get out of prison, you know, do I think that Rick Dugo is, uh, Rick Schulte, as you know, him, Ricky Dugo, as mm -hmm. I know, him, do I think he's violent? No, I don't think he's violent. Um, sociopaths traditionally don't cross over the line. As soon as they cross over to the violent line, all of a sudden, all eyes are on them. If they batter somebody, then they have potential felony convictions for, for being violent. Violent crimes are um, way worse in terms of the law than white collar crimes. Which? And white collar crimes are theft, um, all of these frauds, everything that he's been able to get away with is all part of this part, you know, this, this part of the law, which is, it's like siloed, you know? And it's weird because nobody wants to go after it. Theft and, Think about San Francisco right now. Think about New York City and Chicago. Theft isn't being, it's nope. not being prosecuted. So you've got a guy that is getting away with it. He hurts victims so bad that they don't really want to say anything, right? They don't want to go to the police. They just, they just want to forget. Um, and he, it just, his thing was he was never going to go to jail. 
Nobody, it was always going to be a civil thing. He would put it in your head. If this deal goes sideways, you can take me to civil court. You know, we can settle it that way. Then, then he has all these civil judgments against him. There's, and he doesn't care. They'll sit out there forever. Well, right. He's been found guilty, you know, of, of being responsible and has all of these, um, like judgments, judgments against him. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And he did, never has to pay it back because there's no penalty if you don't pay a, a settlement back. So if you have no assets. Which he claims which, he doesn't because he puts everything in everyone else's name. He has no assets for fact. He okay. doesn't file taxes. He doesn't have assets. So how are you going to go after him? You, right. It doesn't. It doesn't. So it, he's always winning. So. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm surprised uh, he went to, went to prison. Yeah, I'm not. Um, it was a it was a long battle. Well, so. congratulations. <laughs> oh no, thank you, thank you for your support and thank you for your time. Um, sure. We can, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. Um, okay. Is there anything else that you, any final thought for you? Any? No, I'm okay. good. You're good. I'm good. Thank you so much. You're Thank you so much for listening to the first episode and interview of To Catch a Con Man Season 2 in The Victim's Voices. We just heard an in-depth interview and the story of Anna Marie, one of Ricky Dugo's former girlfriends that was conned and swindled back in 1999. On this next episode of To Catch a Con Man, we will talk to a victim that was searching for a mentor and someone that could show him the ropes on how to start a new business venture. Stay tuned for a two-part interview with another massive Ricky Dugo scam victim.